Just a quick heads up, a little warning going into before this episode begins. There may be a little bit of salty language, um, including, I think, one F-bomb. So if you have young children or if you have a sensitive ear of your own or you don't want to have to explain what certain words mean, like the F-bomb, because you just don't have the time and you're not ready to have that conversation yet, you may want to skip this episode or you may want to listen to it in advance before you let young young and or impressionable people listen to the episode. Just a fair warning, a little bit of salty language early on in this episode and a couple of spots throughout. Enjoy the show. Welcome to I Have So Many Questions, a show about finding enlightenment from even the most mundane inquiries or interrogatories. Holy shit, it's a new episode. A new episode. What has it been? Like three months? Two months? How long has it been? It seems like it's been way longer than that. I am your host, Brian Watson. This little jaunt, this little excursion, this podcast, this hobby of mine this endeavor towards establishing my cult of personality, my own personal little vanity project. Please rate and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. It helps bring in new listeners as I work towards establishing my cult of personality. Here's how to get in touch with the show. The email address is IHaveQuestionsPodcast at gmail.com. Show's on Twitter at IHaveSoManyPod. Or you can just look up I Have So Many Questions podcast in the search function of your Twitter app. The show is on Facebook, Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash I Have So Many Questions podcast. I don't know how long we remain on Facebook because, or Twitter for that matter, because if you're not aware, social media is evil and they're conspiring against those who they disagree with. And if there's anybody to disagree with, it's going to be this guy. The show is also on on Instagram, but let's just ignore that. This podcast is hosted on Anchor.fm and through their mobile app. Streaming is also available on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Castbox, Castbox, Pocket Casts, Breaker, Radio Public, and now, well, I don't know why now, it's been that way for a bit, iTunes and Apple Podcasts, pretty much wherever you get your podcasts at. That's where you'll find this show. It has been a little bit since I've done a complete episode. Still working on retuning. If you haven't listened to the brief snippet or announcement regarding the open submission policy, please check that out. Hit me up on email, slide into my DMs on Twitter, post something on the Facebook page, however you want to go about doing that. If you want to be on the show, if you'd like to be on the show as a guest or as a guest host or as a sideways inadvertent audition to being a full-time co-host, let me know. The last full episode I did was uniquely titled What's Been Going On or What's Going On, and it turned into a big old tangent on politics. I think it was right before the Super Bowl, that type of thing. This time, though, going to totally geek out. 
And no, it's not going to be about a fit in Avengers in Endgame. Man, I am not having a good time talking. It's not about the Avengers Endgame, which is coming out later this week. I'm not going to go there because I haven't even seen Captain Marvel yet. I'm going to try to do that tomorrow. At the time of, the reco- of this recording, it's Sunday night, April the 21st. No, we're going to really geek out on episode 9. And for anybody, if you don't know what I'm talking about with episode 9, where have you been? Of course, I'm talking about Star Wars Episode 9, The Rise of Skywalker. At the time of this recording, Star Wars Celebration, which is the official Star Wars convention, took place last week in, I think, Chicago. And the big thing that everybody was waiting for was we were going to get the title of the new movie that comes out in December, and we were going to get a trailer. And sure enough, we got both of those things. The title of the movie is The Rise of Skywalker, and the trailer comes out. And of course, as with everything Star Wars related these days, the trailer was, it was a teaser trailer. It was cryptic. I will say this for Disney. I'm assuming that the people that do the trailers for both the Marvel movies and for Star Wars are the same people. I'm assuming they're the same. They're both owned by Disney. I'm assuming Disney folks do this. And I'll say whoever does those teaser trailers does a much better job with that stuff than they probably do with all the other Disney stuff. Although, do you really need a teaser trailer for Dumbo? I don't think so. But they do a spectacular job of teasing the hell out of Star Wars and Marvel movies. Just a spectacular job. I remember the shitstorm that occurred when the Force Awakens teaser trailer came out. And the first thing you saw was John Boyega standing up panting in the middle of the desert everybody's like oh my god what the hell does that mean is he on Tatooine where's where's, what the hell's going on Uh, I remember when they did the teaser at celebration for Rogue One and all it was I think was audio and it sounded like uh, radio traffic and the only reason anybody ever saw this was because it leaked somebody turned on their iPhone during the presentation recorded it and there you go and everybody freaked out about that But episode nine, the rise of Skywalker with this really good with a really good teaser trailer. And we're going to kind of go into that and we're going to talk about kind of a lot of things Star Wars related because I am a 43 year old white heterosexual male. So that pretty much means I'm a Star Wars geek. And I can remember I can remember seeing The Empire Strikes Back when I was five years old, seeing Jedi I remember when the re-releases came out in when in the late 90s, mid-90s, mid to late 90s, when the original trilogy got re-released in theaters, I went and did that. I remember I was so incredibly mad at my girlfriend at the time, and this was this is just a kind of a dick move on my part. Fortunately, I was smart enough to keep my mouth shut, but I remember going to going to the movie theater to see the re-release of Empire, which was my favorite of the original trilogy. And it's one of those that you got to see, and it's one of those you got to see in the theater. Anytime Star Wars comes out, except for the prequels, you should see them in theaters. And I went and saw, I went and saw Phantom Menace twice in the theater. I saw Attack of the Clones once because it's Attack of the Clones. I went and saw Revenge of the Sith twice. I go to see the re-release of The Empire Strikes Back, and I take my girlfriend with me because she's not never seen these movies. My girlfriend at the time, 
she hadn't seen these movies in the theater. And I was like, no, this is, some, this is one of those things you got to do. And we decided she, we were going to go see the movie after she got off work. Well, she gets off work, and she does not feel good at all. And she's ill, but we still go to see the movie. And the whole time we're watching the movie, she's kind of sighing and fidgeting and squirming. And just because she feels awful, she's sick. And I am just getting irritated because she is ruining my movie experience. It never occurred to me that maybe I could go see the movie another time or go see it again or anything like that. Just did not register. I was, I think I was, this would have been 1997, the 20th anniversary. So 1997, I would have been 21 years old. And I'm just being an insensitive prick about it. At least in my own mind, I'm being an insensitive prick. I'm keeping my mouth shut, and I'm not really doing anything, and I'm not giving her dirty looks or anything like that. But I can just remember, I was like, oh, you are ruining this. This is like a religious experience for me. Just, you know, you're ruining it. Star, super Star Wars geek. I've geeked out about The Force Awakens. I geeked out about The Last Jedi. I geeked out about Rogue One. The only one I did not geek out about at all was Solo. Because... I see the trailer, and I read everything about it, and I'm like, this is a movie that doesn't need to exist. There is no reason for this movie. It serves no purpose. No good will come from this film. And sure enough, no good came from this film, but because, because of Solo, we, got, we get nothing else. Solo kills the franchise. And we'll talk about Solo in a minute because I have lots of issues with Solo. But... Because of Solo, because of the poor performance of Solo, because of everything that went wrong with Solo, after Episode Nine, after The Rise of Skywalker, because you got to finish the trilogy, we're not going to get any more Star Wars movies for a while. And there was this thing about, well, was there Star Wars fatigue? And I think that's legit, because you had every year for four years, you had Star Wars movies. The only problem with that is, is that that doesn't necessarily mean that there's Star Wars fatigue. What that means is, is that there's no... The problem with Star Wars is that it's that the way they've done it is getting stale. Look at the Marvel movies. Captain Marvel comes out in March, and they bring it out less than 60 days before Infinity War. Or not Infinity War. Whoops. Endgame. Look at last year. Black Panther comes out in February, with Infinity War coming in May. And then you get Ant-Man and the Wasp, that, which I think was in July. Or August. None of those movies, now granted, they're all different movies with different characters, but they're all within the MCU. They're all within that shared universe. And all of those movies have done fine. Marvel's made 21, 22, 23 movies at this point. They're all doing well. So this idea that it's Star Wars fatigue I don't think is correct. I think what's happened is that there's no—I think what the issue is is that there's no plan— when The Force Awakens came out and they were producing The Force Awakens, all the story was was that, okay, you're doing this original trilogy, you're bringing in the original cast, and you're introducing new characters. What's—you know, you're going to make three movies. You're going to do a trilogy. What's the plan? Oh, we've got a plan. We've got all three movies mapped out. We're going to do Force Awakens, and this—you know, because we have a plan, because we have all of this mapped out, it's going to allow us to make these movies every two years. We're going to do Force Awakens 15, Last Jedi in 17, and do the third one in 19, which is what they're doing, which is the plan. Previously, it took three years. 
there was three years between between the films and the, the original trilogy. There was three years between the prequels when it was under Lucas's control, and that was you know largely one to develop the story, but also for production purposes, pre-production, all that kind of stuff. The things that you had to do to make a Star Wars movie took a lot of time and a lot of money. Now with you know, CGI and stuff like that. It still costs a lot of money, but evidently you can do it much faster. But four years ago, right before The Force Awakens comes out, we're told, you know, there's a plan. There's this big, huge plan. They've got this huge Marvel Cinematic Universe thing line figured out. And it became clear after The Force Awakens, and when you watch The Force Awakens, you, you get, you understand, you watch that movie and it's like, yes, there is a plan. You know, there are things that have to be answered. Who is Ray's parents? What happened to Luke Skywalker? Who, who the hell is Snoke? What's the backstory on Kylo Ren and his parents? Where did the First Order come from? Where did the Resistance come from? What's the deal with the New Republic? So many things that needed to be answered. And by the time you get through, you know, and then you get to the end of The Force Awakens where Ray finds Luke Skywalker. Spoilers if you haven't seen The Force Awakens, the movie that's made the most money ever. That whole thing has to be explained. Where, what's happened to Luke Skywalker? Why did he disappear? You get to, to the end of that movie and you're like, holy crap, there's all these things. There's, there's got to be a plan. It's got to be like Peter Jackson and Lord of the Rings. Okay. It's got, there's Jackson, all three Lord of the Rings movies at the same time. They were all done simultaneously. He did it that way. So that meant that there had to be a script for the whole thing. As opposed to The Hobbit, where they just made shit up as they went. Because they had no plan. And we all saw how that turned out. That was the thinking is that, well, J.J., you know, especially when you bring in J.J. Abrams and you've got Kathleen Kennedy and you've got Lawrence Kasdan and you've got all these people, you've got this giant brain trust. And it's like, well, they've got to have a plan. Especially when you watch The Force Awakens, you're like, there's got to be a plan. And then it turns out, especially basically right before The Last Jedi comes out, it turns out, no, there was no plan. They didn't have the whole thing mapped out. And when you watch the, the Last Jedi, it becomes clear they didn't have this mapped out. Ryan Johnson got to look at The Force Awakens enough to help him write his story for The Last Jedi. But it's clear that there was no coordination. Ryan Johnson was left to his own devices to write the story that he wanted to write. And they probably did that in order to lure him in, to get him to direct the movie and to write the movie, because he writes and directs it as opposed to The Force Awakens, which was originally conceived by a screenwriter named Michael Apted. I think I'm pronouncing that name right. And he presented a script, and Lucasfilm hated it. Um, they didn't like it. And so they fired him right before they're about to go into, you know, right before they're supposed to start pre-production or production on the movie. They fire him, and J.J. Abrams and Lawrence Kasdan... Lawrence Kasdan, who had written, co-wrote The Empire Strikes Back, who had also, but had, and had written the screenplay for Return of the Jedi. He also wrote the screenplay for Raiders of the Lost Ark. He did the ultimate baby boomer movie, wrote and directed the ultimate baby boomer movie, The Big Chill. He wrote a Western called Silverado. He is a very well-established, talented screenwriter. And he and J.J., they pull a rabbit out of a hat with The Force Awakens, which basically is just a rehash of A New Hope, the first Star Wars movie, except for they change it. They tweak it, and they twist it, and they, they make it familiar yet different. 
and it works. Highest grossing movie of all time. You get to The Last Jedi, and Ryan Johnson, who's the writer and director of the movie, and it's clear that there was no plan. And they even say, yeah, there was no plan. And then there's all kinds of turmoil with setting up Episode Nine, The Last Jedi, but let's talk about The Last Jedi first. The Last Jedi comes out and creates, is so controversial because so much so that there are people that there's a petition, a petition that hundreds, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people signed to not have it be considered canon. It's so hated in some regards that it's not, they, they don't even want it to be part of the canon. You're going to go from The Force Awakens, Episode 7 to Episode 9, as if Episode 8 never happened. The problem with that is, is that a lot of things happen in Episode 8. A lot of things happen in The Last Jedi. It gets a, limit, a, a lukewarm reception from the fans who are, Star Wars fans are just, well, not all of them, but there's a certain segments of Star Wars fandom that are just repulsive. And you see the way they treated Kelly. A lot of them treated Kelly Marie Tran, who plays Rose in The Last Jedi. New character, kind of comes out of nowhere. And you see the way that, they, that she's treated, so much so that she goes off of social media for a time. I mean, she gets, it's pretty brutal. It's similar to the, the, the female-led Ghostbusters movie from a couple of years ago, 2016, I think where they had Kristen Wiig and Melissa McCarthy and um, Kate McKinnon and Leslie Jones. And it didn't do, it did, it made money, but it didn't do great. And it wasn't, it didn't knock the cover off the ball. And it got a lot of criticism because it had a female cast. I haven't seen it. I've seen parts of it and parts of it I've seen, they're just not funny. I think that's the problem with the movie is that it's just not, or it tries to be funny, but it tries to be funny in a way that's different than the original was. And of course, the reason the original is so funny is because of Bill Murray, largely because of Bill Murray. There's a lot of other fu funny stuff in it, but it's mostly, that's mostly driven by Bill Murray with strong supporting from the rest of the cast, but it's really Bill Murray. Kelly Marie Tran gets, you know, the, the, the female cast of the, the Ghostbusters reboot, especially Leslie Jones, it gets really ugly, really nasty. And Kelly Marie Tran got some of that, got some of that experience with The Last Jedi. But The Last Jedi is not received well at all. It still makes a ton of money because it's episode eight. It's the continuation of the story, but it's not well received. And it's when you watch the movie, it, one, it's way too freaking long. It's two and a half hours long. It's just way too long. And it's pretty clear that Ryan Johnson, what really should have happened is that there should have been one, he shouldn't have written it by himself. He should have had a co-writer, and two, there should have been some. There should have been some editorial oversight. There should he should have had an editor, it, like um, a lot of uh, journalists have. They'll write the story, but then they'll have an editor look at it and make tweak it and change it and revise it and say, "You need to tighten this up, or this needs to you know you need to elaborate on this, or or the, this needs to be changed, or that type of thing." There clearly needed to be some editorial control over his script because the script's a mess. The whole, the slow chase, uh, the whole slow chase thing doesn't work. The whole escaping to go to Canto Bight to find a hacker or a slicer 
who can get them codes to the big Star Destroyer that's chasing them doesn't work. The Poe Dameron, everything with Poe Dameron, everything that goes on on that ship while Finn and Rose are gone doesn't work. The only sections that do work are Ray and Luke on that planet, which I can't think of, Ray and Kylo Ren, and then, of course, everything with Ray and Kylo Ren, including on the, on the Super Star Destroyer, and then everything at the end on the planet that I can't think of that's the salt planet that bleeds, or it looks like it bleeds. All that stuff works, for the most part. The rest of it's a mess. It's just an incoherent mess. What Ryan Johnson should have done was watch The Empire Strikes Back. He's writing the middle chapter of a... uh, He's writing the middle act of a three-act play, as Lucas described it 20-some years ago, making himself sound way more super smart than he was because he's like, well, you know, I'm writing three acts of a... Empire is the middle act of a three-act play, and I was writing a three-act play. Yeah, it's really because you wrote a screenplay that was so freaking long for the original Star Wars that you had to break it up into parts. And even then, the parts that you broke it up, like he always said he knew Luke and Leia were going to be brother and sister. No, you didn't. If that were the case, if you knew Luke and Leia were going to be brother and sister, then you knew there was going to be like this really weird incestuous thing going on between them that, that shows up at the beginning of Empire where she kisses him, and then by the end of Empire, where you got Yoda saying, no, there is another, okay, you're kind of setting the groundwork for what happens in Jedi, but you've also just put in this really weird, incestuous subtext to this movie that didn't need to be there, and you're saying that was part of the plan the whole time? Yeah, I don't think so. What Ryan Johnson should have done was understood that he's writing the middle act of a three-act play. This is a trilogy. Everybody already knows it's a trilogy. Everybody has said, this is a trilogy. You're writing the middle act, okay? So what you do, you go back, you do, you watch probably two movies. There's two movies that he should have watched and taken serious notes on. The first one is The Empire Strikes Back, obviously. It's the middle act. Don't watch Attack of the Clones, Because that movie is bad. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work as a middle act. It does work as a middle act, but it doesn't do a good job as a middle act. So you watch The Empire Strikes Back. The other movie you watch is The Two Towers. Now, granted, The Two Towers is different because Peter Jackson and his team, his wife and the, the third person who wrote the entire screenplay. They wrote all three movies at once. They filmed all three movies at once. So they had everything lined up. It was, there was a progression. Everything worked. You go from A to B to C to D to E and all that kind of stuff. So The Fellowship of the Rings transitions seamlessly into The Two Towers, and The Two Towers transitions seamlessly into the, into the Return of the King. But those are the two movies that Ryan Johnson should have watched. He should have watched... The Empire Strikes Back, and he should have watched The Two Towers. He should have watched The Empire Strikes Back because it is, and and truth be told, The Two Towers are like this, is like this as well, but The Empire Strikes Back is a chase movie, and if you've watched The Last Jedi, it follows the same format. The Last Jedi is a chase movie. You've got this, the First Order is chasing the small resistance fleet. In The Empire Strikes Back, Darth Vader and the Imperial Fleet is chasing the Millennium Falcon. Everywhere. 
and they end up catching him on Bespin. On in the Last Jedi, they end up catching him on. Now that I can think of the movie, it was Crate, the planet, the Salt Planet. It's Crate. They end up on. They chase him to Crate. But the Empire Strikes Back is a chase movie, while Luke Skywalker is off learning from Yoda. Well, Ray's off learning from Luke Skywalker in the Last Jedi. So Ryan Johnson follows the template of Jedi. The problem is, is that what he doesn't, what he, he tries to add to the empire, the template of empire by doing the whole Canto bite thing. There's no Canto bite thing in empire. You've got the ginormous battle at the beginning, the snow battle on Hoth. Everybody escapes. Darth Vader goes after the Millennium Falcon. Although I don't know why, because you think he would have been able to sense or notice Luke escaping in the X-Wing fighter going in the other direction. But evidently that's, you know, plot hole. Darth Vader goes after the Millennium Falcon. Luke Skywalker goes to Dagobah to meet Yoda. There's no Canto Bite. Leia and C-3PO or Leia and Chewbacca don't split off from Han and the Millennium Falcon to go to some other planet to get some piece of information so that they can catch up with Han and on the Millennium Falcon later. That doesn't happen. There was no reason for that. On, and there was no reason for that whole thing to be there for The Last Jedi. It makes no sense. It's nobody from the First Order knows this little pod escaping from the rest of the fleet going off or this little ship going off to another planet. Really? Nobody noticed that? It's a plot hole. It makes no sense. It doesn't work. So he should have looked at the Empire and... Empire is a chase movie. The Two Towers, in a way, is a chase movie, except for everybody, except for you've got Frodo and Sam being chased. They encounter Gollum, and it's kind of a chase movie, although nobody's really looking for them. And then you've got everything with uh, Aragorn and Legolas and Gimli with Rohan and Helm's Deep and all that kind of stuff. Kind of a chase movie, but not really. The whole trilogy of the Return of the Lord of the Rings trilogy is a chase movie in some respects, just a very slow, prolonged chase. But Ryan Johnson should have looked at Empire, and, and if you're going to do a chase movie, which is what he was doing, that's how you do it. Last Jedi comes out, mixed reviews, Ryan Johnson's writing, his script is way too long. It's convoluted. It doesn't make sense in a lot of ways. And of course, the big stink is what the, the big stink, the, the three big things that I think everybody really gets up in arms about is what's happened to Luke Skywalker on that planet. The whole thing with Ray's parents and the fact and what's going on with Snoke. You've got Snoke as the big bad. And by the, and spoilers, if you haven't seen The Last Jedi, by the end of the movie, he's dead. And we know nothing about Snoke. All we know, he's there, okay? But you've got how Luke Skywalker is written in that movie and how he's portrayed, and so much so that even Mark Hamill, when the movie comes out, says, eh, I had issues with this. I didn't agree with this at all, but you know what? They're writing the checks. I'm just here to do the work. I did the work. And it was pretty clear he didn't feel that was the direction the character would have gone under, under the circumstances. And it's a very, it's a very despondent and very depressed and very self-pitying Luke Skywalker. And, it, and you know the movie comes out and it doesn't work. It makes a lot of money, but it, there's a lot of criticism. And then Solo comes out a year later, and so, or no, not even a year later. It was like six months later. Last Jedi came out in December of seventeen, and Solo came out in May or June of eighteen. 
and it really doesn't do well. I mean, I think it made money, but that movie was so wrong in so many ways from there was all of the issues with production, the troubled production on that, on that movie, the power grab by Lawrence Kasdan, the screenwriter of Solo, that got Lord and Miller fired, along with the, the things that they were doing, the th- ways that their, their way of making movies screwed with the production process of a Star Wars movie. They were doing a lot of improvisation. They were deviating a lot from the script and the setting. They're doing a lot of improvisation, which evidently messed with what the effects team and the, the you know the, what the production team could do, especially with like special effects and CGI and all that kind of stuff. If you're doing a lot of stuff with improv and you're not sharing that information, if you're doing a lot of stuff that's improvisational, well, there's a the production team is going off of the the script and they've got all that stuff they've been planning and doing all things for like a couple of years off of a script and if you're deviating from the script in significant ways then that's going to create problems but anyway then there was the fact that Lawrence Kasdan who co-wrote the movie with his son I think this might have been the son's first produced screenplay so there may have been a lot of uh nepotistic protectionism going on by Lawrence Kasdan. Lawrence Kasdan raises a big stink about the way Lord and Miller are directing the movie. And it's probably him. He probably who he has a lot of influence and probably had a lot to do with them getting fired. Then they bring in Ron Howard. They basically reshoot the entire movie over again, except for like some parts. They try to, you know, save some of the footage that Lord and Miller had done and incorporate it but they basically reshoot the whole movie and they reshoot the whole movie in a matter of months and then they release it and it's eh. as i said it's a movie that nobody needs it's a movie that nobody wants it's it's a movie that serves no purpose you don't need han solo's backstory you just don't you don't need to know that there was a girl you know you don't there's just no purpose there's no good that comes from that movie or the rogue one you're telling a story that had been alluded to, but nobody had ever heard about. It had never been told in any way, shape, or form, and all the characters that are in that movie are, shocker, dead by the end of the movie because they have to die, because you never hear about them ever again. But it's a, it's a story that's alluded to, but no, there's nothing else to it. With Han Solo, he's there. He, you've already seen him in four movies. You don't need a prequel origin film for him. It's like when they did that stupid Hannibal Rising movie about the early, the childhood of Hannibal Lecter and how he became who he became. You don't need that. You've already seen him in three movies that have gotten progressively not less good over the three movies, but you don't need his backstory. You don't need to know how he became Hannibal Lecter. It was like with the prequels. Lucas wanted to tell the story of the fall of the Jedi and the birth of Darth Vader. You don't really need that. I mean, you can. I mean, I guess you could do it, but was it really a something? Was it really something that needed? Was it really a story that needed to be told? Not really. You got enough to know. And then when it turns out that, and then he just does an absolutely horrible job of telling that story. I mean, when they said Ryan Johnson's going to write and direct the Last Jedi, somebody should have said, you know, the last time we did this, this didn't work out all that well. And he did it three times. Enough with the prequels, okay? We don't need backstories anymore. But Solo bombs, figuratively speaking. It bombs, and 
spooks Disney and Lucasfilm to the point where everything that they were working on, except for episode nine, is completely tabled as far as films go. They're still con- they're continuing with cartoons. There's Star Wars Resistance, which is out now. I watched the first couple episodes of it. And I'm like, no, I don't care about this. This is not Rebels. Rebels, I enjoyed. I didn't really like the way it ended. I have a serious problem with the character of Ezra Bridger, but I enjoyed that that series. They're bringing back the Clone Wars for reasons I don't understand. You know how the Clone Wars ends. It's called the prequels. It's called Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. You know how that story ends. And truth be told, the reason the Clone Wars was made to begin with was for George Lucas, because George Lucas wanted to show that there was depth to the prequels. He wanted to show that there was a... He wanted to... It was kind of sticking... It was basically he was trying to middle finger, give the middle finger to those people who didn't like the prequels. Oh, yeah, well, I'll show you. Except for he had nothing to do with the Clone Wars. It was Dave Filoni, who was the showrunner, and the he was the... With the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it's now Kevin Feige. Kevin Feige is everywhere with everything with the MCU, and it's safe to say that the reason that the MCU has been so successful is largely due to Kevin Feige. That's why the DC Cinematic Universe or Expanded Universe or whatever it is didn't work because they didn't have a Kevin Feige. But with the Clone Wars cartoon, it was Dave Filoni who ran that thing. And he also, this was another reason why Rebels was so successful because that was Dave Filoni. He was in charge of that whole thing. I don't think he's involved in Resistance, actually. The Clone Wars was Lucas's attempt to show that there was that there was depth to the prequels what he couldn't do due to his own horrible ability to tell stories and even more horrible ability to direct what he couldn't do in the prequels he tried to do with the clone wars but you didn't need that cartoon you didn't need that story okay you got it with episode you know how it ends it's called episode three revenge of the sith so you know why couldn't you tell why weren't you able to tell the story, the fill in the story of Anakin Skywalker and Obi-Wan Kenobi and the other characters in the prequels to where you had to do a cartoon that ran for five seasons and it's going to be its sixth season coming out here soon? Why'd you have to do that instead? Why couldn't you just get it right with the prequels? Solo doesn't do well, kills all the other Star Wars movies. There was talk about a Boba Fett movie that they were going to make, which I think they pivoted into the live-action series that's going to come out called The Mandalorian, which has uh, John Favreau attached to it, which I think is a good choice because we saw what Favreau did with Iron Man. And, you know, say what you want about Iron Man 2, it's still an enjoyable movie. I still enjoy it. The story's not great, but I enjoy the movie because, you know, you've got a great cast. There's a lot of chemistry among the cast. Robert Downey Jr. is brilliant, of course, um, and really it's the cast that saves that movie because the story is not great, except for the casting of Mickey Rourke. Mickey Rourke is an absolutely horrible choice to play a Russian, and not only that, but you turn him into a biker, a, a, a dreadlocked biker Russian, Russian biker, or biker Russian, whatever. Anyway, Mickey Rourke is an absolutely horrible choice, and the way that character is constructed is just awful, but the cast saves that movie, Iron Man 2. So bringing in John Favreau to do the work on The Mandalorian makes sense. And I'll be interested to see how that show turns out. I don't know if I'm going to get Disney Plus. 
their, their coming streaming service in order to watch it. I haven't gotten CBS's streaming service to watch the new Star Trek series, so I doubt if I'm going to do that with Disney. But that'll be interesting to see. But that was probably the original intent of the Boba Fett movie. Instead of doing the movie, which was going to cost an incredible amount of money, we'll do something that doesn't cost as much money, The Mandalorian. And we'll put it on the streaming service because it'll entice people to sign up for the streaming service. And then there was talk about an Obi-Wan, the movie that I really wanted, which was the, you know, and here I am bitching about prequels, but I wanted a prequel in this case. The Obi-Wan Kenobi movie. What happens between episode three and episode four with Obi-Wan Kenobi, that 20 years or so, what happens to him that whole time he's on Tatooine with Ewan, bringing back Ewan McGregor to play Obi-Wan Kenobi. That is the movie that I wanted. I want my Obi- I still want it. I want my Obi-Wan Kenobi movie because that character, because Ewan, because that character and Ewan McGregor were poorly served in the prequels and truth be told, Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi is the best part of the prequels. By far the best part of the prequels is Ewan McGregor. And he does so much with what, and he's given so little to work with, and he does so much with it that he's the best part of the whole thing. To give Ewan McGregor an opportunity to play that character again and to give him a script and a story that focuses on him as opposed to the prequels, which was about everything, pretty much everything but him. And he's just there to, he's really just there to to lop off Anakin's limbs at the end of episode three and to take and to save the twins. That's all he's there for. He serves no purpose in episode one, except for to kill Darth Maul at the end and be, and to be and be alive to take, take on Anakin. He only serves a purpose for the end of the movie. He serves no purpose in episode two. I mean, you could have you could have made done that movie without him, really. Without Obi Wan Kenobi in it, he makes no difference to the movie, to the story, um, except for the plot point where he's on Geonosis, and Anakin and Padme have to go see go save him, which starts the Clone Wars. But he serves no purpose. And then in Episode Three, of course, he's he's the one that's got to lop off Anakin's limbs at the end, and take the lightsaber and save the twins. Okay, his his only purpose really is to kind of set things up for the next trilogy. But Ewan McGregor is poorly served by the prequels, even though he's the best part of the prequels. And he should have gotten he should have gotten the Logan treatment. He should have gotten one more film to play this character and be sent off in the right way. Even though the character gets, you know, sent off in episode four, Ewan McGregor deserved a send off. More than what he got with um, Revenge of the Sith. That's the movie that I wanted. Now, because of Solo, that's not going to happen. Although, truth be told, you could, Ewan McGregor is still a pretty young guy. That period of time between Episode 3 and Episode 4 is a 20-year span, so you could, so you could, you could wait five years and still make that movie. And you'd be f- perfectly fine. It would work. And with the technology these days, they can make Ewan McGregor look a lot younger. They can make Ewan McGregor look a lot older. You saw what they did with, let's see, it was Kurt Russell in the beginning of the Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 2. It's what they did with Robert Downey Jr. in Civil War in that holographic sequence with his parents. Um, I'm sure what they evidently did with Samuel L. Jackson for Captain Marvel. I'm sure there's what they did with, hell, what they did with Chris Evans for the first Avenger. 
how they did that. I mean, there's ways to do it, but I want my Obi-Wan Kenobi movie, and that's probably not going to happen because of Solo. Solo doesn't do well. The Last Jedi's got a mixed, gets a mixed reception. It's way too long. It's a bloated mess, and all of a sudden, there's this talk about Star Wars fatigue, which Mark Hamill himself, as I think I mentioned earlier, he himself has acknowledged that there may, in fact, be Star Wars fatigue, and I don't think it's so much Star Wars fatigue as much as it is the way they're doing things isn't working. They're being too, I don't want to say they're being too safe, but they're not being, they're not being very original. They're trying to, and this is, I think, happened with, and this happens with franchises. You saw this with the Bond films in the Brosnan era. You start with GoldenEye, which is a good movie. A good, you know, it's a good, it's a good introduction for Brosnan as Bond. You get to Tomorrow Never Dies, where they get a little bit better. And then with The World Is Not Enough, it's a good quality movie, but it just kind of, it's not as good as the first two. And then by the time you get to Die Another Day, it's like, oh my God. So much so that they have to basically pitch the entire thing and do a complete total hard reboot with Daniel Craig for Casino Royale. Not only are they rebooting the franchise, they're rebooting the character. And they're going to go back to Bond at the beginning and they're do it with Daniel Craig. And this happens. You saw it with the Star Trek films. By the time, you know, the next gen movies, there was so much Star Trek out there between next gen, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, I think Enterprise by that point. By the time you get to the last next-gen movie, which is Nemesis in 2002, I think you already had Enterprise, which is the fourth series in a row, which is not doing well because it's a prequel, and it's not very good. I know people there. I know there are people that love Enterprise. I am not one of those people. I don't like. I'm not a fan of Scott Bakula in any way, shape, or form. I don't understand what his appeal is. I didn't like Quantum Leap. I don't watch NCIS New Orleans. I can't, I've heard Bakula's Cajun voice accent and it's horrible. It's not Kevin Costner in Robin Hood or Kevin Costner in 13 Days or Kevin Costner where he's doing any other kind of accent accent that isn't like a southern drawl type of thing, but it's bad. Anyway, where the hell was I? I lost my train of thought. Oh, that's awkward. So, Last Jedi doesn't do well. Solo doesn't do well. I'm not going to get my Obi-Wan Kenobi movie. And we are at episode 9 and The Rise of Skywalker. And there's so much speculation just from the trailer. Obviously, the trailer is the only thing that anybody's ever seen. But it's clear, and it's been clear since The Last Jedi ended because Ryan Johnson went off in a direction that I don't think, I think he went off in too far of a direction. Oh, now I remember. I'm talking about why Star Wars fatigue. Man, you can tell I haven't recorded an episode in three months. Anyway, Star Wars fatigue. And the reason why there's Star if there is Star Wars fatigue, it's because they are being too safe. They're being too cautious. They're being too conservative. They're not bringing in new fresh voices and there's franchise fatigue is there if there is franchise fatigue it's because they're not doing anything they're not doing anything to expand the franchise they're not doing anything new and innovative and creative at all they're they're, they've got a formula they're going to stick to that formula and they're going to run that formula into the ground which evidently they've done 
And that is the problem with, and that is the danger of a franchise, is that from time to time, you've got to refresh the franchise. And what Lucasfilm and what Disney has done is they have based their entire Star Wars premise up till now on nostalgia. It is entirely about resurrecting nostalgia for the original trilogy, which is largely what made The Force Awakens the most successful movie ever, was because it had been 10 years since Revenge of the Sith, 2015 to 2005. It had been 10 years since Revenge of the Sith. People had kind of washed the prequels out from their palate. They had cleansed their palate of the prequels, and you're going to get new, fresh Star Wars, and instead of going backwards, we're going forwards, which is why Enterprise failed, I think was because it was a prequel, and everybody had been prequeled out by that point. You'd gotten the Star Wars prequels, didn't really work. There was all these other prequels that people were trying to do, the whole Hannibal Rising thing, and it was just a hot freaking mess. Everybody was prequeled out. So by 2015 or so, everybody's ready for new Star Wars because it's been 10 years. Everybody's cleansed their palate of the prequels. They're ready, and they're going to get new stuff. And the most important thing is they're getting new stuff that's moving forward, and they're bringing back the original cast, even if it's a trans for transition purposes. They're moving forward. The problem is, is that, and they did move forward. Force Awakens is now. Granted, it is a rehash. It's similar but different to A New Hope, but it's different enough. And it creates a interesting characters, and it creates an interesting situation, and it creates a lot of uh, opportunities for a lot of questions. It raises a lot of questions that need to be answered. And then with Ryan Johnson and The Last Jedi, he doesn't really do anything to answer those questions. Or he does so in a way that's not satisfactory. What happens with Ray's parents, Kylo Ren saying they were junk dealers who abandoned her, sold her for who basically sold her into slavery for drinking money. I don't believe that even when I watch the movie, I'm like, no, 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 no. This is a lie. This is a deception. Kylo Ren is lying to her. It's like if you've ever seen James Earl Jones be interviewed about Empire, The Empire Strikes Back when he read the script for Vader saying that he's Luke's father, the first James Earl Jones, the voice of Darth Vader, his initial reaction was, oh, he's lying. This is a lie. And it was only later on did Jones, and Jones, I think, talk to the director or he talked to Lucas or he talked to somebody and said, you know, what's the deal here? This is a lie, right? And they're like, no, 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 this is real, that he is Luke's father. He is Luke's father. And that, of course, changes, that changes Jones's performance front in, for the rest of Empire, those last 10 minutes or so. And, of course, it obviously impacts his performance as Vader, the voice of Vader in Jedi. But when I saw The Last Jedi and Kylo Ren tells Rey who her parents are, I'm like, no, 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 he's lying. This is a lie. He's trying to tear her down to convert her. He's trying to turn her to his side. And he's, that's how he's doing this. Because she doesn't remember her family because she doesn't know. She's open to... He's playing on her anxiety, and the suspicion in the back of her head is that, in the back of her mind is, I'm not special. My parents, my family isn't special. You know, what if, what if I'm, what if, you know, what if this doesn't mean something? What if this is insignificant? 
my my history, my story is insignificant. And I think Kylo Ren senses that. You remember he tapped her mind in Force Awakens, and they're connected through the Force in in the Last Jedi, evidently by Snoke, but they are connected. And I think he and I think this whole thing about him telling her who her parents really were and everything like that, he wouldn't be privy to that information. How the hell would he know that? How would he know that better than she does? And the truth is, I think it's a lie. I think he did that to try to tear her down because he's trying to turn her. And the best way to turn her is to say, you know, you weren't anything before, but with me, you can be something. Together, we can be something. That's the whole Vader pitch to Luke at the end of Empire. The Emperor, you can destroy the Emperor. He has foreseen this. Uh, join me, and together we can rule the galaxy as father and son. Kylo Ren's making the same pitch to Rey. And he's doing, but he's doing it in a different way. He's doing it by trying to tear her down. Vader did it by, try, by lopping Luke's, Luke's hand off and then telling him that he's his father. Maybe lopping the hand off wasn't the best way to go about doing that. But that's what Kylo Ren, I think, is doing to Rey in The Last Jedi. So I don't. I didn't when I watched the movie. I didn't. I didn't believe that that was the who her parents truly were. I've read. I did a little bit of research on the internet before doing this episode, and there's this you know something out there about Ray's parents are actually the people that she was left with on the planet on Jakku are not her actual parents, but her kind of custodians, and then they sold her into slavery for some drinking money. And then they eventually died on Jakku, which is what Kylo Ren tells her. But then you've got that whole thing with the spaceship leaving in her Force vision in The Force Awakens. And then evidently that ship reappears in a different setting on in the trailer for the, for the Rise of Skywalker. So I think my suspicion may be correct that Kylo Ren was lying to her. Let's talk about that trailer. Oh no, I'm sorry. Let's talk about the re- the other the inconsistencies from between the Force Awakens and the Last Jedi. So Ryan Johnson provides an explanation for Ray's parents that really not satisfying at all. It's a curveball, and it's clear that he's doing it as a curveball. But it's also it also seems pretty clear to me that it's a it's a clear act of misdirection to end the speculation because between Force Awakens and Last Jedi, almost all of the speculation was who's Ray's parents, who's Ray's parents, who's Ray's parents. Is she Luke Skywalker's daughter? Is she Obi-Wan Kenobi's granddaughter? Is she Han and Leia's daughter? All this kind of stuff. One thing is clear in The Last Jedi, she's not Luke Skywalker's daughter because when Luke sees her, he has no idea who she is. Even when he reconnects with the Force during the movie, he doesn't know who she is. And if she were his daughter, who he hadn't seen since she was real little, he still should have known who she was. And once he reconnected, opened himself up to the Force, he really should have known who she was. So she's not Luke Skywalker's daughter. I don't think she's Obi-Wan Kenobi's granddaughter because that's like a, that's like a six degrees of Kevin Bacon type of thing. That's just a bridge too far. When you watch The Force Awakens, it's clear that Han and Leia know who she is. There's that scene where they're coming to the planet where Maz Kanata is, the green planet. And Ray looks out the window and says, I didn't think there was this much green in the entire galaxy. And Han looks over at her and he's got this sanguine, this melancholic, mel- melancholy look on his face. And that's not a melancholy look of sympathy for the fact that she's been on Jakku her entire life. That's not Han Solo. He doesn't, he doesn't have that type of instant empathy with somebody. 
or sympathy with somebody. That's just not that character. And that's not the way Harrison Ford would play that character. That is a character, that is a look of knowledge. That is a look of knowledge, not because that's where he met Luke Skywalker. You know, that's not where he almost died because of Jabba the Hutt on a desert planet. That's a look of knowledge. That's a look of, I know who you are. I know why you ended up on Jakku. And I feel bad for the life that you've had to live because I know why you've had to live it. That's a look of an awareness. And then the fact that he wants to try to keep her on the ship, you know, as a first mate because for help out him and Chewie, again, that's not the normal thing. That's not what the character normally does, especially since he has had very little interaction with her so far. Now, granted, he makes the same pitch to Luke at the end of A New Hope, but by the end of A New Hope, they're in, they've been in a lot of stuff together. In The Force Awakens, he and Rey have barely been together at all. She's shown her competence. She's shown, shown that she, you know, she's quick on her feet and she knows what she's doing and she knows a lot about the Falcon, but that's not going to motivate him to bring her on. Again, that is an offer of a character who knows who she is already. That's also why he gives the advice to Finn about her in relation to her on multiple occasions. It's because he knows who she is. And then you get to the end of The Force Awakens when they come back from destroying Starkiller Base and Rey is walking off the Falcon and Princess Leia is walking toward her. Keep in mind, up until that moment, they've never met. And they hug each other. They've never met. Princess Leia has never seen her before. Rey has never seen Princess Leia before. They've never met. They've never interacted. And the first thing they do when they encounter each other is they hug each other. Princess Leia wouldn't do that. She'd do that to a complete and total stranger because Han Solo died. She doesn't know anything about the relationship between Rey and Han Solo. She has no context for that. Could he have told her? Sure. But, you know, their interaction's been, their relationship is very limited by that point. But she, Rey's walking off the Millennium Falcon, and the first person she encounters is Princess Leia, and the first thing Princess Leia does is hug her as if she's known her her entire life. Again, that is a character acting, in a sense, out of a sense of recognition. Princess Leia knows who Rey is. Han Solo knows who Rey is. The only person who doesn't know who Rey is is Luke Skywalker. So it kind of begs the question, could Rey be? And now keep in mind... I've, you know, there might be the argument that Rey is the daughter of Luke and Han, and they left her there because of Kylo. what happens with Kylo Ren. The problem with that is, is that we don't really know Kylo Ren's age, but the, the idea is that he and Rey are comparable in age. They're very similar in age. So, and evidently what Kylo Ren did with Luke, we, again, we don't know when that happened either, but we know that Kylo Ren was an adult. He wasn't much younger than he is when those movies take place because in the flashbacks, in the Rashomon flashbacks that happened in The Last Jedi, where Kylo Ren tells his version of the story and Luke tells his version of the story, although Luke kind of tells a couple of different versions of the story because he's, he's kind of doing damage control a little bit. I don't want to say he's lying, but he's doing damage control. Kylo Ren is—that's Adam Driver playing Kylo Ren. It's not like a 12- or 13-year-old Kylo Ren. That's an adult Kylo Ren. But the idea, but it's clear that what happened with Luke and Kylo Ren didn't happen too long ago, as far as we know of. And 
with Ray and Kylo Ren, the idea is that they're kind of comparable in age, especially given the the kind of the the romantic insinuations that kind of emerge during The Last Jedi, which is an interesting twist. It is those, their interactions during The Force Awakens and their interactions during The Last Jedi clearly indicates that Kylo Ren doesn't know who Rey is. Rey doesn't know who Kylo Ren is. So they can't really be brother and sister unless there's a significant age gap between the two where she was born after Kylo Ren went to the dark side or maybe when he went off to, to the Academy, to the Jedi Academy with Luke. But even then, if they're brother and sister and they've got the same parents, they should, be, they should have already been connected through the Force. And it's pretty clear that in The Force Awakens and in The Last Jedi that they weren't previously. So they don't know who each, they don't know who each other are. So she can't really be Kylo Ren's sister, the other, or the, the lost twin sister, or, the, you know, a sister of Kylo Ren, a daughter of Luke and Han. But it's clear that Luke and Han, at least in The Force Awakens, knows who Rey is. It's pretty clearly indicated. But Luke Skywalker doesn't. Kylo Ren doesn't. Snoke certainly doesn't, although he could know. I mean, he doesn't really, he doesn't really like his interactions with her at the end of The Last Jedi kind of don't kind of direct you one way or the other. So it's possible Snoke could have known who she was. But given his behavior in The Force Awakens and kind of his behavior in The Last Jedi, he doesn't really know who she is either. But, but I think Han and Leia, at least the way they're portrayed, their interactions with her are portrayed in The Force Awakens, they know who she is. 